0: And it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels. And you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks.
1: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
2: And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. The biggest mistake I think that people often
3: make is rather than using humor and then getting reprimanded for it, They often have this huge fear of ever using it at all, so they don't, and they Mm. go through an entire career being bored or being miserable or being stressed out because of a potential fear of what may come if they show a little bit of personality, if they show a little bit of humor.
2: Nice. 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 Nice.
0: Nice. Nice. Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the nice podcast about communication, collaboration and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we retain, we teach you to retain talent and improve culture and communication. So you have happier, more connected teams. Today I'm speaking with Andrew Tarvin. Andrew teaches people how to use humor to achieve better business results. He has partnered with a few organizations you've never heard of, like IBM, NASA, the FBI. Uh, to solve human challenges with humor solutions, Drew. Welcome to Nice. Thanks for being here.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, that's a fun way to to say that. It's a, such a great brand name, but it's like welcome to Nice. Yeah. Like, I feel good I feel warm just, <laughs> just with you saying that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm shooting for. You know, make it make it friendly. You know, that's that's why we're here. But yeah now i've been looking looking forward to to talk to you so the first thing i always I always begin these things by asking the same question, which is what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently?,
3: oh, what is the nicest thing? um well, my wife married me, that was very nice of her, um, <laughs> although that was a couple of years ago now,
0: yeah, that um, doesn't count. it's not yeah, recent yeah. yeah not not
3: recent enough. Uh, let's see what, uh, I imagine something's gotta happen this weekend. Um, some neighbors of ours very kindly, uh, introduced us to a new, uh, German bakery here in Panama. Uh, ah. and so they not only were like, cause my wife is German yeah. and, um, they not only introduced it in terms of like thought of us when they found the bakery. They also brought us some of uh, some baked goods from the bakery so that we could you know experience them ourselves uh, right away. And my, my German wife's gives German approval of the German bakery, <laughs> so it was very kind of them to think of us and also to go to the extra step and bring us something.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Is there a big German uh, expat community in Panama?
3: I don't think so. As far as I know, there's only this bakery and like a German restaurant in terms of like actual built up stuff and then huh. I, it, we've run into a few germans my my wife is very attuned at picking up the the accent or hearing she'll be like wait i think i just heard a german word spoken and it'll be like two miles away but she'll be maybe <laughs> 3.4 kilometers away and she'll be able to like spot it uh she's pretty good at that because i mean i guess i think whenever you're not around your normal language you you're more attuned to it like that happens to me when traveling it's like wait I think someone just said some American English which is different. Like, okay, I can go talk to some Americans if I want.
0: Yeah, I get excited. Too. <laughs> I get excited too when like when I hear someone talking about like Canada or or something like that. Every time I actually every time I'm driving in Nashville and I see a Canadian license plate, I like instantly get like really animated and I want to like wave to them. And and of course, like I'm just some crazy person driving next to them. Like they have no idea who I am, but I'm really excited. I'm like, Hey, I'm from Canada. You know? I do great. I,
3: I do this. I do Freak? that with, with people from Ohio, especially people wearing Ohio State gear because mm. I went to Ohio State, right? Uh, and then it always takes me like a day when I go back to Ohio. Like I'll be on, on high alert constantly. Like I'm like that person's wearing Ohio, State, and that person's wearing. And it's like, oh right, I'm back in Ohio. Um, <laughs> I'm so barely back in Ohio that I forget about it. But it, it gets excited. I think I don't know. It's it's that you know that the familiarity that that fun connection that you're like I have something in common with this person we could be friends maybe if we wanted to
0: right right does your wife go crazy when she visits or has she visited Ohio with you and real and then like seeing the quality of the roads (laughs) the interstate in Ohio versus like the German Autobahn
3: She's, it's not too bad, especially compared to living in Panama though. The Ohio yeah. roads there are good. It's very funny though because she laughed because there's a there's a place in downtown Cincinnati, technically in Kentucky, called Mainstrasse. Hmm. Um uh which we think is all kind of hip and it's meant to be this and it's like that just is Main Street translated from German. Like I never made the <laughs> connection that it was a super obvious like name or whatever, but like, oh here's this cool thing with this like German sounding name and she's like Strasse? That's what's this, what German sounding? It is it street? Okay. All right, get excited, I guess.
0: <laughs> You're like, yes. Oh man, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, no, we do. Well, we do the annual pilgrimage to Toronto from Nashville. Uh, and so we, we always go through Ohio and for some reason the interstate there is always under construction, but I'm hoping, Oh, that's true. I'm hoping they wind it down soon. I, I feel like no,
3: it's, I, I would live there for 24 consecutive years and yes, something was always under construction.
0: <laughs> I crazy man. It's crazy. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, You know, we're here to talk about humor, uh, that works preferably. Um, so let's talk about that. Talk about that. Like how, what do you do? Uh, what do you do, Drew? What is your job?
3: (laughs) What is it that I do? Uh, according to my niece, it's a whole lot of blah, blah, blah. Uh, she, uh, uh, we were, I did an event in Germany, and afterwards, in our, it was near her hometown, uh, my wife's hometown, and so her uh, nieces came and saw it, and they popped up on stage after I was speaking and just wandered around the stage going, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So it's a whole lot of blah, 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 but in the blah, 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 what I'm helping organizations and individuals do is ultimately find ways to be more Effective in the workplace so whether that is you know improving communication skills strengthening leadership skills uh, Managing stress a little bit better building more resilience etc Some of these quote-unquote soft skills, but the angle or the way that I I approach that is is through a combination of engineering So like what works what does the research say and what's the most efficient way to get some of these things done Hmm. and then combined with humor because uh, when we turns out when we make things fun they are more likely to get done, and so humor is kind of that angle to like, okay, bring a little bit of levity, bring a little bit of joy into the way that we work, so that we can achieve, you know, that resilience or stress management or communication skills, etc.
2: Mm,
0: so when a leader, so like r- run me through sort of a, a typical like client scenario, like you know, uh, working with, let's say the FBI. By the way, every time I say FBI or I hear FBI. Uh, did you ever follow Ali G?
3: Uh, I never really followed super closely, but certainly okay. familiar.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was one of uh, Sasha Bar- Baron Cohen, uh, Cohen. I almost said Cohen. Uh, <laughs> Cohen's early uh, characters named Ali G, and he had a show. And uh, he did one where he went to the FBI, and every time he interviews them, he's like FBI. Um, and so every time I hear FBI, I think FBI, but I have digressed. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like the FBI. Like what was that engagement like?
3: Yeah, it was, well, sir, it was, first of all, it was the most intimidating speech I've ever given. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. The only time that I've <laughs> spoken where 90% of the room was armed. Mm. Uh, you know, like everyone has a, a gun on their hip. So I'm like, if this doesn't go well, this may not go well. Wow. Um, but that that level of intimidation. Because I'll, I'll admit, like when I first got the email from the FBI, uh, it was not too long after my TEDx talk had come out, and it was just like your TEDx talk was the subject line. And I was like, "Oh no! Like, did, mm-hmm. did I use like a copyrighted image in my presentation? And now the FBI is after me. What's going on?" Oh gosh! Uh, and it turns out that uh, an agent, uh, a special agent, had seen the the TEDx talk and made him laugh. He shared it with a few other agents. They also laughed, and he wanted to to bring me in, not uh, not to arrest me, but to bring me in in the <laughs> sense to, you know, one of the things that they have to do, particularly the, with this group, is to. The Office of Private Sector has to build these relationships with non-criminals, right? It's, it's about building awareness and, and uh, relationships with people so that you can educate them so that, you know, hopefully you're, you're preventative as opposed to, uh, you know, always responding to things. But mm. as I experience and as other people may experience or probably can assume, like it's intimidating interacting with the FBI. And so we worked with them on how to use humor in their, their conversations with people to— Put that they're human first so that they can lower the status differentials, build rapport a little bit better. And, you know, laughter is a great way to do that. If you get people to laugh, it kind of shows that you're on the same side. If you share a little bit more about yourself, maybe in a humorous, maybe in a high status position in a slightly self-deprecating way, Mm. it kind of says, hey, I don't take myself too seriously. And so that's somewhat of what we worked on with them to kind of be able to say, you know, hey, relationships are really important. Humor is a great way to build those relationships.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love, I love that. I think, I think that's such a good, a good way to to engage and, and use humor to to improve that. Because, yeah, to your point, I mean, you know, I've written uh, blog posts uh, about and, and talked about fear, like fearing management or fearing leadership, and how if you, you know, oftentimes communication breaks breaks down at work because we're fearful of our managers or leadership team, and so uh, for that reason, we don't. You know engage them and so in a in a similar sort of way i mean you're with the fbi you're making them more approachable too so I, I love that have you found that 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 happens in other companies like when you're doing leadership type work
3: oh certainly i mean i think anytime you have a status differential for whatever reason humor can be a great way to kind of diffuse that or even the playing field because part of you know part of what we're training on and what humor does is humanize the people that you're working with because Mm. I think it's so easy to forget that, you know, the other person on the other side of an email or the other side of a phone call or the other side of a conference desk, you sometimes forget that they're another human. You're like, no, you're this coworker, like, especially in a virtual environment. Like Mm, we're so used to just talking to a screen, even though like, it's like, Oh yeah, that is a person on the other side with emotions and feelings and family. And you know, maybe just maybe the reason why an email is late to you isn't because they secretly hate you and want to make your life as hard as possible, mm. but because they have a sick kid at home or because they're dealing with, uh, you know, helping to take care of an elderly parent or they're stressed out for whatever reason. And so humor reminds us a little bit of that humanity. And then also, just when you have that stronger relationship, They've done studies of like you're more likely to solve problems and you're able to, to get more done and you're also going to enjoy your work more, etc. And so humor is just that one, you know, one avenue into it. It's not the only way. Hmm. Um, but what we joke about is, you know, it's the most fun way. You could say, okay, well, we're going to lock you into a room, and you're going to become closer together because you're going to, you know, be here for 24 hours straight and have to, you know, do everything together in this one room. Well, yeah, you're probably going to be closer together. You might hate each other more afterwards, <laughs> or you could like laugh a little bit more, and that seems like it's going to be more fun.
0: What are some ways? You know, you talked about humanizing and how um, how it's easy to kind of lose that virtually, which. Uh, yeah i'm 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 a big believer in you know um one example of this actually well we'll talk about social media for a sec but when you engage with a brand on social media sometimes you forget that you're actually engaging with a person on the other end of that brand you know the and i myself managed a brand uh on twitter or on social for like over four years and one time i was attending a conference in seattle and i think i've shared the story here once before but i was on my way uh I was at the airport in Nashville and I got a Starbucks coffee and I was on the flight about to leave and I drank the last sip of the coffee and it was all coffee grounds. So like I had a mouthful of coffee grounds. It was like, Arr! and so I kind of like spat it up a little uh, <laughs> as discreetly as I could. And the woman sitting next to me was just like, Ugh. Um, so I took a photo of this, like these grounds and I posted it to t- t- on Twitter and, Tagging Starbucks and I, and I use, I said, uh, barista fail. So anyway, fast forward to the conference. It's a tech conference in Seattle and Starbucks is exhibiting there. So I go over and I said, I wasn't there to complain or anything. I was kind of doing it jokingly, but I, but I went over and I said, Oh, you won't believe what happened to me on the way here. And the, the guy looked at my name badge and he's like, Yeah, no, I saw it, Dave. I am Starbucks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So we do. We forget that, like, there are people behind these brands. And I was just like, oh, sorry about that. Um, well, and especially in a customer service
3: setting, right? Because yeah. So often, you are you know, when you're contacting someone for customer service, it's probably because something didn't go right or something's wrong or whatever. And it's like, yeah, the person that is picking up the phone call is oftentimes going to receive the brunt of it and so that's why we've done a lot of training for customer service agents both in terms of here's how to manage the stress of it Mm. because right part of part of humor is like how do we make our job more enjoyable how do we make it more fun and how do you you know as a customer service rep maybe use a little bit of humor to make that connection with someone but then it is also like there's certain you're not going to be able to control all of the very angry people in the world, or, you know, if we're working with emergency first responders, it's not like, here's how to use humor so that fires don't happen, but here's how to use humor so that you can relieve the stress that happens or comes about From doing this very serious role, like role or exercise, and so um, you know it goes back a lot to to intention and understanding. You know, controlling what you can control. Um, Part of that is perspective. Part of it is you know your side of the conversation at least. And Mm. so um, I think one, the training for people, but then two, on the flip side, is yeah, we as individual consumers of people are the ones calling customer service feeds or whatever. I don't know if you've ever experienced where a customer service person just has like a, a smile on their face or s- shares a little bit of humor, it completely changes your day. Mm. Like you go from being like this person that is a, a tea kettle about to explode and immediately you kind of release some steam because you laugh a little bit or you're like, oh, that's right, you are a human. We can talk about this in a human way and uh, you know, hopefully get closer to a resolution.
0: Yeah, I've learned this firsthand once uh, a million years ago. I had a job uh, where I, was, I had to speak on the phone And, uh, and this friend next to me, this woman that I worked with was, she was just she after I got off the call, she's like, she's like, try, try smiling when you're on the phone. And I was like, wait, what? And so I started smiling as I was talking to people, they couldn't see me, but just with the smile, I found it was like magic. What happened? Like the feedback, like it just, everything was going so much smoother just because I was smiling. It was weird. Have you? experimented with this at all in your work or
3: uh, I typically only I do podcasts frowning the entire time <laughs> uh, no I think I think it's great advice well because part of it is you know the mood that you have impacts the mood of so many people in fact they've done studies around this uh, there's an interesting study that they did where they compared The amount of happiness that you would achieve if you got a $5,000 raise, uh, not raise, but $5,000 bonus, or if essentially a stranger was happy. And so it's like, okay, which one is more likely to make you happier? Is it a five thousand dollar bonus, or is it a stranger being happy? Hmm. And it's not a complete stranger, but it's a stranger in the sense that it's a friend of a friend of a friend. So you may not know that person, but a friend of a friend of a friend. What's going to make you more happy? And statistically, the friend of a friend of a friend was like two percent more likely to make you happy, whereas a five thousand dollar raise was only like one percent. I don't remember the exact numbers, but yeah. if it was a friend of a friend that was happy, then that increase the chance of you being happier was like five percent. And if it was a direct it was like 10% that you're likely to be happy. And again, those numbers I think are wrong, but the overall idea is yeah. that, you know, what they found is that moods spread through groups, like they ripple essentially. And I think p- people listening will probably recognize that. Sometimes you can have been, be having an amazing day, and then for whatever reason, you have an interaction with that one coworker that's always a bit of a curmudgeon and it brings you down. Mm. or vice versa. There's that person that like, you know, hey, you're not having a great day, but then that person always smiles at you you on the subway, or, you know, the one friend that you really enjoy having that one meeting with, like, it can change your day. And that's what, you know, you can be that that source of, you know, humor, humor can be that that person that kind of kickstarts the the mood of people, and it can change entire cultures, you know, starting with a single person. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, I love that. Like, just just being able to to spread a little a little humor a little a little warmth a little humanity as you mentioned earlier I think is a is a huge huge step. Um, your TEDx talk is awesome. First of all, I I, I thought it was yeah. it was so great. Tell me about tell me about that. How was it conceived and and kind of uh, yeah, just how it all came together.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, so the, the TEDx talk, the focus is on the skill of humor, and uh, it was done at te- uh, Texas A&M, the second one. So I have two, one at Ohio State, one at Texas A&M. And yeah. the second one came about because uh, my brother is a professor at Texas A&M, and I would go down and guest teach his classes once a semester just because it's like, you know, excuse for me to go and see him or if I'm passing through, or if I'm going anywhere kind of close in Texas, all you know, like, hey, let me swing through, I'll guest teach class, etc. and uh, one of his students really enjoyed the guest lecture because I talked about humor and how it applies to like improv and how it applies to public speaking skills or I talk about how humor and it applies to leadership and conflict resolution or whatever and and so they a student of his recommended me for the um, the talk and so when talking with them I gave them a couple of options of like these are ideas I think are worth spreading and one of them is that humor is a skill which means it can be learned and they're like well that's very different than what we're accustomed we're to hear and we think of humor as being this thing that you, you're either, you're, you either have it or you don't. You're either quote unquote naturally funny or you're like the rest of us and you make bad puns every now and then but you you know you can't learn to be funny and i am living proof that you can in fact learn to be funny and so the idea was like okay as an engineer i'm used to breaking things down and seeing you know what are the actual steps and uh, how do you take something that's a little bit maybe muddy or murky and and make it a little bit more clear and so that's what we did with the you know humor it's these kind of 3 core ideas three stages or whatever and um no and, and we got very lucky that uh one I had a lot of fun delivering it the audience had a lot of fun listening to it, a lot of laughter and uh and since then it it didn't go it didn't it wasn't popular right away it took time but over mm. time it, it's you know become quote-unquote somewhat viral i guess i think sitting at uh, close to 13 million views at
0: this point yeah it's it's yeah it's amazing uh, reminds me, I should do a TED talk. Uh, <laughs> tell so, and and as you mentioned, you, you, and you mentioned it in your talk too, you started out as an engineer, um, and and even I guess younger, not probably not the funniest guy, right? So like, tell me, or, or correct me if I'm wrong, but how did how did how and why did you explore humor, and, and make that a core part of, or not just part, of, but really your core business?
3: Well, I I started doing improv and stand-up at Ohio State. So I went to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering, and then while there started doing improv and stand-up. And I did not start doing improv and stand-up because I was like, you know who's funny? Uh, Me. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know who should listen to me? strangers like I was not that person watching whose line is it anyway and be like could totally do that or I never it wasn't I was not that person that like saw stand-up comedy I was like I could, could totally do that I was the opposite of that
1: my dad works in b2b marketing but I never really knew what that meant then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man then he just kept saying things like the more MQLs, the better over and over
2: To be?
3: Uh, I only started doing it because my best friend in college wanted to start an improv group, needed people, and essentially forced me to join. <laughs> uh, you know, he, needed, he needed someone who was organized. He was like, You're an engineer, you can do the project management for our comedy group. Uh, and, uh, I wasn't very good to start, um, because I'm a, I'm very much an introvert, was never like the super outgoing person, et cetera. But, you know, with a lot of practice repetition, I am an engineer, so I know how to do research in terms of like, okay, I'm going to get a bunch of books on this. I'm going to read about it. We're going to practice it a bunch. Um, I'm going to, you know, we're going to film our shows and go back and watch them and see what seems to be working and what's not working, et cetera. And so, you know, over time I started to discover or realize that there's an art and a science to, to humor. And so I can learn the science part pretty easily like that. It, not easily, but like, okay, those are steps. I can learn what a setup and punchline is. I can understand a comic triple. I can, um, you know, practice this, that concept of yes, and from improvisation. And then the repetitions, is where you kind of refine the art a little bit. That's where I started to discover a little bit my quote unquote persona, my quote unquote voice. And the crazy thing is, is that while I was doing that, I started seeing better results in my schoolwork It helped me get my job. I started working at Procter & Gamble after I graduated from uh, school, and I started there with an internship. It helped me to get the internship because I was an engineer with some social capability that I'd learned through improv. Mm. Uh, It helped me better manage teams. It helped me to, you know, I did a... uh, when I had to do my review board presentation, basically at the end of my internship, that would decide whether or not I could get a full time offer from PNG. I decided to tell the story via, you know, hand drawn Microsoft Paint uh, slides <laughs> that I had created in Microsoft Paint, right? Just to add a little bit of humor, and it made the like the, the review board laugh, and it was something different, etc. So, like, it was something that made things more fun for me, but also I was seeing like, Oh, this is actually helping me. The engineer like was excited because it's like, this is helping me with the hardest thing I've ever had to interact with, which is humans.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And it is true that yeah. Using the skills, you can improve the way, I mean, you, you absolutely can improve the way you communicate, but I like the fact that you, that you, you studied it, like you really studied it <laughs> you didn't just, you weren't the class clown, uh, you know, little goofy nerd like I was. You actually took the time to like master, master these arts and, and study, you know, how they worked and then apply them to the way you communicate and then, and then to teach those learnings. What, like, how does, I, I have my own answers to this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are for, cause you, you mentioned in college doing improv and also doing stand up. Now, um, I, and we can, we could talk about this a little bit after too, um, about the, the standup stuff that we've poked around with, but with, um, you know, my background is more, certainly much more into improv and improv and standup are also two very different beasts. Um, but at the same time, they, they have commonalities. Tell me a little bit about like your takeaways from studying and performing both of those and which you prefer and and that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, well I, I enjoy both of them for very different reasons and you're right they're very different skill sets. They're very complementary mm. uh, and both are very complementary to life. Like I think improv is a, is a, is a thing that every human on the planet should take at least one improv class. Because it teaches you collaboration skills, it teaches you how to be more present in the moment, it teaches you how to be a better listener, it it teaches you how to build off of ideas a little bit more, it teaches you confidence kind of in your own self and your own ideas a little bit more, Mm. and there's so many applications outside of performance, like just in life in general around improvisation, and... Uh, and it's a safe space to practice. I mean, for me as an introvert, someone that was more socially awkward growing up and, um, you know, like I said, always on the, the, the shyer side, improv was a safe space to go and practice being a little bit more um, open to being out there a little bit more. Hmm. And stand-up is similar, there's great skill sets, but stand-up's more, more specific about here's how to be a better public speaker, here's how to communicate in a way that other people listen, here's how to think and see things kind of in an interesting way. So both are incredibly valuable skill sets that apply outside of the, the, play, uh, the, the performance, but I would say improv maybe a little bit more. From an arts perspective, improv is way easier for me, um, and I think for most people, because first of all, the work of improv is more fun. Because the work of improv is you get together in an improv class with a, you know, an improv group and you play games or you improvise scenes or you practice doing a herald by getting a suggestion. And so it's new and it's fresh every single time. Hmm. Whereas stand up is, you know, it's you writing by yourself a little bit and then you go to an open mic and you're there for two hours to do five minutes of material and you find out, you know, whether or not these comedians think this is also funny, etc. So like the work of it is way harder um you know when we first started doing we started doing stand-up at at ohio state as well we'd been doing improv for a year and and our mindset was hey if we can be funny when we're making it up you know in a show from a suggestion it's got to be way easier to be funny when you like write it down beforehand and you can pick kind of quote unquote any suggestion that you want and turns out it's just harder because expectations are also different from the audience yeah and that's an interesting thing to kind of consider both in terms of So an improv audience knows you're making it up, and they are part of the creation process. So they're almost rooting for you to win more. Stand-up audiences are a little bit more like, okay, you think you're funny, prove it. (laughs) And yes, yeah. From the last thing that I'll say from an audience, just from a, a corporate perspective or a work perspective, is that you know there's there's differences between performance, you know, humor and say work humor. But one of the advantages to work humor is that the bar is so much lower. Like, you do not have to be comedy club levels of funny mm. to have a huge impact in the workplace. Just if you make whatever is n- normally, like, terribly boring and dry, and you make it one per less, 1% less terribly boring or dry, that's already a huge win. So you yeah. have to do, like, you can learn these skill sets from improv and stand-up, but you don't have to uh, in terms of uh, being able to actually use humor in your own work.
0: Yeah, there's something there with, like, environment and expectations, right? Like, for mm-hmm. example, I uh, – so – and, you know, I, I do the Master Communicator Secret Weapon talk, which we just – you just saw me do a condensed, shorter version of that uh, for, for a conference um, – But where I revealed that the secret weapon is, is using improv. So what happened was I was hired by a group to deliver that talk, the master communicator secret weapon. And it's usually in the, in the initial conversation with the, with the client that I, that I reveal what that secret weapon is so that it doesn't scare people off or turn them away or what have you. Different people have different views around improv. And they said, Oh, we have an idea. We should put you up in a comedy club to deliver this presentation. And right away, I'm thinking, oh, God, no, because this is not a comedy show. And if the audience are sitting in a comedy club, they're going to expect it to be like nonstop laughs. And it's not. I mean, it's funny and it has its moments, but that talk is not it's not a stand up set. Right. And and so the 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 client Decided. And so I, I pushed back. I said, actually, you know, anywhere else would be great. Um, and then the, and then uh, like a week later, they're like, OK, so we booked the comedy club and I'm like, <laughs> and it but to the point that you're making about and it went, it went OK, but it, it wasn't a comedy show. But to your point about taking these skills from comedy, whether it's stand up or, or improv and applying them and using them in a corporate setting where it's just not expected. I think, yeah, to your point, I mean, it goes so much further.
3: It does. And obviously the stakes are very different, you know, if uh, between a comedy club or an improv show in the workplace where, you know, the, the risk is a little bit higher because, you know, typically with improv or stand-up, if you say something, you know, inappropriate or inoffensive, well, one, you know, the, the bar of what you can actually say in it, you know, a, a Friday night late show is pretty much you can say almost anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and people may not like your the topic that you're talking about or people may not, you know, enjoy you as a comedian, but for the most part not much is going to happen. Whereas you make the wrong joke in a, you know, a board meeting or something like that, you might lose your job or it might lead to a lawsuit, et cetera. And obviously there's something to be said about knowing what type of appropriate is, uh, what type of humor is appropriate when and where, et cetera. But, so that's harder, but the, yeah, the the bar is so much lower where it's, you know, it can be simple things that can have a huge impact. It can be, you know, I remember when I was at P&G, And I started to incorporate a little bit of humor. At first, I was nervous about it. I wasn't sure I was going to go. And so I started simply with uh, jokes at the ends of my emails because I love puns and I love writing, you know, wordplay and coming up with, you know, dad jokes, et cetera. Uh And uh, and so I would put at the bottom of my weekly status report just a pun or a, a joke or whatever. And I wasn't sure how other people enjoyed them, but I knew that it made me writing the email more fun. I got more excited about the email because it was like, "Oh, what joke can I come up with, and how will it match, and what will it fit, etc." And so that alone is beneficial enough. If you're doing, if you find ways to make your own work just a little bit more enjoyable and doesn't really negatively impact anyone else, that's already a fantastic start. But then uh, I remember coming in one uh, one day after having sent out the weekly status report, and I had a bunch of replies to the email and I was starting to get nervous. I was like, oh no, did I like, what colossal mistake did I make? And it turns out I did make a colossal error and that I had forgotten to include a joke at the bottom of the email. And so all of the replies to this email were like, (laughs) hey, where was the joke? Or are you still doing the joke? Or I only read this because of the joke. (laughs) That's amazing and it told me that you know as a project manager to get people to be looking forward to an email to click on an email and at least scroll to the bottom i, I can't guarantee that they read the whole thing but at least they scrolled to the bottom where the, at the ps where i where i included the joke And so it's just a small example where it's like, okay, I don't have to be a stand-up comedian. That's something that you could even pull from the internet. You could go like, you know, uh, work jokes uh, and pull one in and and bring it there. And it's just a small way where, again, the bar is so much lower. It may not be the funniest joke in the world that's going to get you, you know, a Netflix comedy special. But if it causes some people to smile, if it gets people to lighten up their day a little bit, if it makes it a little bit more fun for you to write that email – all of
0: those are huge wins. Are there dangers involved with that too, things that people should uh, avoid or be careful of?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest one is is understanding what we mean by appropriate humor in the workplace. And that's part of the skill of humor is knowing what's appropriate and when, because the humor that you use with your friends or the humor that you use uh, or that you see, say, in a, a comedy club on a Friday late show Is very different than the humor that you would use in the workplace. And so I think one of the things that's helpful to know is or understand is that, you know, humor is typically inappropriate for one of three reasons. And if you know those three reasons, you can kind of like give yourself a sense check to try to avoid them. And so uh, one, humor can be inappropriate because it has an inappropriate topic, right? So humor isn't an excuse to talk about something in the workplace that you wouldn't otherwise talk about, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like, oh, but, you know, Uh, I have this joke. It's, uh, you know, racist and sexist and, um, you know, elitist and whatever, but it's like really funny. It's like, oh, no, no, it's not appropriate. (laughs) Um, You still want to make sure that is appropriate, that you're positive, inclusive. Um, Second, it can be inappropriate because it has an inappropriate target. And so some humor has a very specific target where you're poking fun at something. And so. Um, typically, especially if you're a manager of others and you want to avoid poking fun of like direct reports, cause even if they make fun of each other, even if you feel like it's all in good fun, even if it's just like, Oh no, it's just a little bit of banter because of status differentials, because of how you might be perceived in the workplace, because of the context, it can come across as very inappropriate, very aggressive, very mean. Right. And then finally there could be an inappropriate time. Like humor, the fact that humor can exist appropriately in the workplace doesn't mean that it's always appropriate to use. So the example that I often give is like, you know, if you're firing someone, it's not the time to like bust out your frozen musical parody and be like, I got to let you go, let you go. I'm not going to pay you back anymore. Like, yeah, it's fun now. Right. It's like, no, that's still, it still can be an inappropriate uh, time. So I think if you understand that, that it can have an inappropriate topic, have an inappropriate target or come at an inappropriate time. If you start to give yourself that sense check, then it can help you and and that's where we kind of say positive inclusive try to think about you know would your mom be okay with you hearing about the this thing or what some people call the newspaper rule of like would you be comfortable with whatever joke you made showing up in the front page of your hometown newspaper and Mm -hmm. if you're like i I don't know if i'd want you know my mom to read that or for my boss to hear that i said that then eh, it's probably not appropriate at work
0: what about uh, the use of like emojis and things like that? I I noticed well, there's there's something that's been around forever, which is the random J at the end of emails, mm-hmm. which I always thought was like initially I thought it was somebody's initial, or I thought it was just like a like a, a bad smiley or, or something. But what as it turned out, I believe it was Outlook made the smiley a J in any other email client, mm-hmm. so you'd get these like random J's, and it would be you a smiley, be like but J? it just didn't turn into one. Yeah.
3: Yeah, which is great for anyone named like Jordan or Jake or Jack or whatever. Yeah, then you're just like, oh, okay, that's a that's a fun way to abbreviate your name. Everyone else, like,
0: what's up with the J? Yeah, jumping.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, J Crew. I don't know. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously,
3: that also depends on the the group and also the the email. I mean, I think if Mm. you're gonna. You know, if you're you're writing, if you're in customer service and you work for, a, you know, a place that sells something pretty serious, then it's like, yeah, maybe not emojis in a chat where someone is like distraught in a moment mm-hmm. uh, and you don't want to come across with a smiley face. But, I mean, I think it, it changes by generation and it changes by different group. I'm not going to fault anyone for using emojis. Like, I think, you know… I gave advice once to uh, someone who was in the, uh, looking to do career transition, and they had a fantastic sense of humor, someone who like, was a, a very skilled entertainer, used humor effectively to diffuse tension, etc., and I was like, hey, you know, if you want to stand out a little bit, you can include sense of humor in your special skills down at the bottom of the resume. And they're like, I don't know, I mean, that's interesting, but what if a company doesn't hire me because I, I put that there? And I'm like, that is Fantastic like at least me personally, I would not want to work at a company that wouldn't hire me simply because I chose to say I had a sense of humor in my, my resume. Yeah. Like the interview process is just as much you interviewing other places. And so if, if people aren't like laughing, if they're going to be like very kind of like, Nope, you can't have any personality on your resume. It's, it's probably not a place that I'm going to be happy at anyway. Mm. And so I think, you know, that's part of it is using humor. You can find a little bit more your tribe. You can find the people that do resonate with you. And so, you know, if you're unsure, you can always kind of do a sense check with people. You can kind of, you know, uh, you know, run it by a mentor or someone in your organization, or you can always try it, you know, very slowly. Maybe you don't start with a full on like face emoji, but you do the, you know, a emoticon version of the uh, smiley face where you use a colon and a, you know, par- parentheses or whatever. Right, like, right. You can potentially start small, but, uh, you know, I think the biggest the biggest mistake I think that people often make is rather than using humor and then getting reprimanded for it, They often have this huge fear of ever using it at all, so they don't, and they Mm. go through an entire career being bored or being miserable or being stressed out because of a potential fear of what may come if they show a little bit of personality, if they show a little bit of humor.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, actually, of of not even being your true self because – at work, I mean, and like hiding that. Yeah. Hiding the the humor so that people don't even realize like you're a really funny person or, you know, yeah, it's kind of a missed opportunity to kind of shine that light a little.
3: Well, and also we just spend 90,000 hours of our life at work. Like that's the average person will spend 90,000 hours of their lifetime at work. And that's mm-hmm. just for me, that's far too much time to go in hating it, to go in being like, I got to be the shell of a human for these eight hours a day so that I can be. Uh, somewhat of a human for another eight, and then to sleep for another eight. It's like, no, we spend too much time at, at work to, to not enjoy the, the process a little bit more. And again, obviously every role is a little bit different, but the biggest thing is like, no one can control how you think. Even if you work at an organization where you're like, they have explicitly banned humor. It's like, well, they can't control how you think. So, like, one of the things that I like to do is uh, if I'm getting bored while reading email, I'll just start to read different emails in a different accent in my head. You know, like, imagine, like, okay, what would happen if this was, you know, if Arnold Schwarzenegger sent this email or if this was someone from, you know, the South or it was a Canadian or whatever. Yeah. And I just read it in my head, and I'm terrible at accents, but it's, it makes it a little bit more fun, and no one can stop me from doing that. Like, yeah. no manager, no matter how restrictive they are, can come up and be like, you're reading emails in an accent in your head. Stop it. <laughs> They can't prevent me from doing it. Dave, as much as you want to, you could not stop me from reading your next email as a Canadian-Irish person. Right, right. Uh, (laughs) And so, and that's partly the, like, Yeah, maybe you can't do some of the other things that we sometimes suggest, but at a minimum, you can do that at a minimum You can listen to a comedy podcast on your way home from work So that you laugh a little bit and relieve a little bit of stress and show up more present for your family At a minimum you can find these small moments throughout the day to have a different perspective on how things have happened To find the humor in a situation like those are all things that are within your control Mm. And it's a great starting point in terms of starting to use humor
0: yeah, and by the way, I do recommend everybody check out – there is a podcast called Good One uh, with Jesse David Fox. And, and Good One is, is fantastic because he interviews comedians – uh, big comedians that you would know and then kind of dissects different bits with them uh, and then they review it together and, and and it's really fantastic it's just an interesting show have you heard that show I can't remember if yeah, we've talked fantastic. about it yeah, yeah okay. it's
3: fantastic I like it because first of all they play the bit so like yeah. you know you're you're gonna be laughing for the first 5, 10, 15 minutes of the podcast right. you know, just because it's a really funny bit and then yeah if you continue listening then you also get the insight of like where did that story come from or why did you make this decision and, mm. and even something like that can be you know the starting process for your education into the, the humor. It can be a fun way to kind of start to explore because when you learn things like set a punchline or something like a, a comic triple, it's, it's a commonly taught technique. Some people call it the rule of three. I think more accurately, it's called the the comic triple. Um, once you learn it you like, oh, I start to notice it. So a comic triple is simply a list of three things where the third thing is something a bit funny or something unexpected. And it doesn't actually have to be a list of three. It can be more, it can be less, etc. But the, the basic premise is is that. So it, it can be something like um, you know, I joke that as an engineer growing up, I used to take things apart and put them back together again, things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage. <laughs> and then we got that one back together, right? So that's a comic yeah. triple. The first two clocks and radios make sense. You expect I'm going to say something like computer, etc. Parents' marriage is now a little bit different, still somewhat logically makes sense. And so that brings a little bit of the humor. But now that you know that that type of style exists, if you're watching a comedian or you're watching a comedy movie or you're, lo- you're reading ad copy on someone's website or you're looking at Instagram, you'll probably start to notice like every now and then you will like, oh, wait, that was a comic triple. oh, that was like a list of things and the the last thing was kind of funny or whatever. You start to become more attuned to it in the world which helps you to kind of observe humor a little bit more and then you can also be a little bit more intentional yourself. You could say, okay – Let's see, a comic triple, where could I use that? Well, anytime you write a list, or your LinkedIn profile, like if you're changing your headline on your LinkedIn profile, you, know, you could include two things related to your role, and then something unexpected. It doesn't have to be a joke, but maybe something slightly more personal. So you might say, you know, hey, I'm a, a project manager, a, um, uh, you know, a certified scrum master, and an amateur tango dancer. Right. Or <laughs> and just that third thing is like, it's just an opportunity for people to connect. They can either connect of like, hey, that's interesting. You're a project manager. What does that mean? Or what is a scrum master? Or they could be like, tell me about this tango (laughs) dancing. Like how long have you done it? How amateur are you? It goes back to that like human connected thing, that reminder that you're a human.
0: Yeah. And I love, that is such a great tip and and one that you helped me with too. And I did want to make sure to, to plug, uh, Uh, How you helped me, Drew, because so uh, I've never I haven't actually mentioned this at all on the show, but uh, uh, several months ago, I decided to try stand up comedy for the first time uh, hitting an open mic. And then I did like six weeks, uh, six open mics in a row. Um and then kind of hit a wall on the seventh and that's a whole different story. But um I really enjoyed and so Drew uh, kindly gave me some feedback and you you watched uh, my four minute set because I've been recording them and gave me some feedback and that was one of them and I actually came up with a joke that worked way better uh, because of that kind of the rule of three. Uh, so so yeah so th- and then when you you came through Nashville and we got together and hit an open mic together, uh, which I learned a valuable lesson don't do open mics on friday nights at non-comedy clubs
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that i mean that is part of the interesting process of like the you know stand-up is really hard in a lot of different ways and one of it is the the process they can be tough but i think if anyone listening has ever like kind of had an initial inkling to like maybe i kind of want to do stand-up first of all i would go to an open mic in your city yeah Uh, just go and observe once because you'll a lot of times that'll give you the courage you need because you'll see how poorly some people do and you will yeah. be like well I'm not going to do any worse than that yeah. uh you know comedian Paul Riser once talked about like this idea that sometimes we're we're sometimes more inspired by mediocrity than we are by excellence because people who are excellent like if you watch Chris Rock or Tig Notaro or you know any of these fantastic comedians out there Ali Wong etc then mm. you watch him and you're like I could never do that like I'm I can never do Trevor Noah level of stand up and the amount of accents that he does and all that kind of stuff but it's like you can go to an open mic and you're like well, I'm not going to do any worse than that. So right. I think that's it's a great way to get encouragement. It's a fun – I think you get a, a much more respect for the the, the craft of it. Mm. And also it's the hardest form of public speaking you'll ever do. So stand-up is a great way. It's basically the weight room for public speaking, and it will yeah. help you to improve or help you get more comfortable in terms of presenting in front of boardrooms or presenting in front of patients if you're a doctor or, you know, whatever it is if you have a little bit of nerves when it comes to public speaking. You know, stand up is kind of, you know, put, the, put your feet in the fire kind of method of, of going through it. Other groups, you can also go through Toastmasters or take an improv mm-hmm. class. But, you know, I think if you have any uh, inkling to go out and, and try it and, you know, hopefully there's people like uh, Dave out there or myself in the community that will also be supportive.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and I've I've been blogging all this stuff, and I'll happily add a link in the show notes so people can check it out. Because yeah, to the specific time that you, that you helped me out with it, because um, yeah, I actually just wrote something recently. I, I did a keynote uh, for a conference, and it was the first conference I spoke at since embarking in this stand up comedy stuff. And honestly, Drew, the energy I felt, the relief, like I was, I I think I entitled the the post something to do with like a keynote speaker ballerina or something. I felt like, I felt like I was doing ballet, like not ballet, but you know, like I just, it felt so great. Like I always love to speak and I always get audiences laughing. I mean that, that comes naturally, but after spending so many nights in, you know, creepy dark places with drunk people and only four minutes and nobody knows who you are, nor do they care. And then suddenly you're speaking for an hour in front of a, you know, you have their undivided attention and they're there to see you and the client has paid you nice, nicely to fly you across the country. And, uh, I felt so great. So for anybody who has to do like a presentation, maybe they're nervous about it to what you just said. I highly recommend, you know, besides rehearsing your, your speech, uh, go do some some open mics and it'll just make the speech so much better. I guarantee it. So oh, yeah, for sure.
3: Because well, yeah. I mean, it, with any practice and rep, you kind of get there. But also, there is there's something very calming about getting laughter as a speaker. Yeah, like as soon as you get that first laugh, you ease into it. And uh, there's a, a great uh, comedian and also presenter, a guy named David Nihill, who has a whole book and program on like, do you talk funny and how to add humor. And he's he's similar to me of like not a quote unquote. You know, natural stand up comedian. He's always terrified of um, public speaking and stuff until he started doing stand up. But hmm. he gives a great example. There's a, a great TED talk from Amy Cuddy on the power of body language. And so this is a body language expert talking about body language. And even with her, you see that she's kind of nervous in the TED talk. And then she gets her first laugh. And she and the audience both are at ease. Like the audience is like, okay, I'm in good hands because you just made me laugh and you enjoyed it. She's like, okay, I got this laugh. I'm feeling pretty good. Like when you get that, there's, it's, it's very reassuring in some ways. And that's mm. the, you know, when I talk to people in terms of what I learned specifically from, from comedy, you know, it's high level. One, it changed my perspective on the things that happened to me. It made me a lot more resilient, made me a lot better at managing the ups and downs of life to it boosted my confidence, not just in terms of public speaking or one on one conversation, but it it boosted my confidence kind of in who I was as a person, Mm. because I got validation in a sense from people of like, oh, there, you know, people do like my ideas, or there is something funny about this, or I can make someone laugh, etc. So I became a lot more confident. And then you know, what we've talked about kind of at the beginning is that it just improved my results, it made me more comfortable with people, it improved my communication skills, I did better as a project manager, I did better as a, you know, a friend, to people uh, it helped me at the time when I was you know dating it, it, humor was a big part of you know my wife and I ultimately getting together so it is uh, you know it has all of these life kind of impacts and it, it starts with kind of this desire this willingness to, to jump in and learn this skill
0: yeah that's fantastic okay I'm gonna move to the lightning round really quickly uh, to be respectful of your time so uh, complete this sentence nice guys and gals finish uh, wherever they want to Besides Humor That Works, which is a fantastic book. By the way, I noticed it came out April 1st. Uh, yes, tw- that yeah. wasn't intentional. Yeah. Uh, well done. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> besides that book, which I recommend everybody pick up, and I will include a link to, uh, what's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening?
3: Uh, well, if we're going to stick within the the wheelhouse of uh, comedy, I'll recommend two. One is just a very tactical book, one of the first books I read called The Comedy Bible. There's a new version uh, mm. called The New Comedy Bible by Judy Carter, but it's where I learn the basics of things like setup and punchline and joke structure and kind of point of view, etc. And so if you're like, hey, I want to learn a little bit of that science side of things. Um, it's it's geared towards stand-up comedians, but it can apply to kind of everywhere in life. Yeah. Um, and then just a, a fantastic memoir where you still learn a little bit of that side but also have an incredible journey is uh born standing up by steve martin it's his autobiography that is very funny and also very fascinating it's about his very rapid rise to the world of stand-up and then the reason why he ultimately decided to step away from stand-up and show live shows and stuff like that and jump more into movies Hmm. really really well written
0: yeah i want to check that out actually i've never read that one i just read uh Bob, I'm a big Mr. Show fan. Of course, you know Better Call Saul. Um, Bob Odenkirk has a new book called Comedy, 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 Drama, and it's uh, autobiography. It's great, so I'll plug that one too. Uh, How is Drew nice to himself? Um,
3: I, uh, I think I'm very nice to myself in a lot of ways, but probably the first one that comes to mind is that, uh, anytime I speak or want to do something else that I celebrate, I reward myself with, uh, some type of dessert, often a milkshake.
0: Uh, what's your flavor?
3: Uh, depends on where I'm at. Um, top three I'll give you is, uh, a, the Neapolitan shake from In-N-Out if I'm on the West Coast. Oh. A, um, uh, a Shake Shack Oreo shake if I'm on the East Coast or somewhere that they have Shake Shack. Or a particular favorite, if I'm in Chicago, I will get a Portillo's chocolate cake shake where they take a piece of chocolate cake and bend it, blend it into the milkshake, and it's amazing.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> to, wash, to wash down the hot dog. Uh-huh. I love it. Exactly. Okay, last question. If you had a billboard, what would it say?
3: Uh, it, I, it would probably say you are responsible for your own happiness.
0: That's brilliant, Drew. Thank you so much for joining me today. And how can people get a hold of you and learn more?
3: Yeah, well, if they're interested on the humor side of things, you can go to humorthatworks.com. There's a bunch of free resources there on learning a little bit more about humor or your specific humor style. We have also got information on our one-on-one coaching or group workshops or, you know, keynote offerings, et cetera. So that's humorthatworks.com. Or you can connect with me directly uh, on social media. I am Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N. On all social media, including uh, not too long ago, discovered that I still have a MySpace. (laughs) If you would like to connect on MySpace, just MySpace.com slash Drew Tarvin, shoot me a
0: message. For our younger listeners, MySpace used to be a social nevermind. All right. Well, Drew, thanks again for joining, man. This is a lot of fun.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dave.
0: Thanks for listening to The Nice Podcast. I would love to include your voice on the show. If you have comments or questions regarding this episode or any episode, whether you might have some nice communications tips of your own, visit friend.nicepodcast.co. There you can record an audio comment and I expect you'll hear it on an upcoming episode. Theme song is Little Jane May and the end song is Funny Feeling by Alister Crystal at alistercrystal.ca and we'll see you next time be nice